Good morning once again. Let's start together. If you turn in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, first book of the Bible, but the last page of that book. So between Genesis and Exodus, Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 14. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 14. It goes like this. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of God and of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that it would speak to us today. This uh, thing of forgiveness, Lord, is is a cloud above many of us here this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word very clearly. Allow me to articulate it well today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you take out that white sheet of paper you got in your bulletins this morning, it is an outline for you to be able to follow along where we're headed today. Uh, we will be uh, finishing this series called True Forgiveness. But we want to ask you uh, this question What would someone in your circumstance do if they were absolutely confident God was with them? What would someone in your circumstance do if you were absolutely confident that God was with them? your circumstance, with your resources, with your challenges, with your education, what would someone who knew that God was with them 100% of the way, what would they do in your situation? Would they be 100% confident that God was with them? How would they handle it? What would they have to fear? What would worry them? What would give them anxiety? What would keep them awake at night if they were 100% confident that God was with them? What would they do with the opportunities that lie before them if they were entirely and completely confident that God was with them? Someone with your resources, someone with your uh, challenges, your circumstances. What would come along their path that they would absolutely be confident that God was in the midst of them? What would come along and how would they handle those things? What tragedy would occur in their lives that they would look at that tragedy and they still would have the strength to say, I know that God is with me in this situation. When you begin to consider this and you think through the context of this, it'll change your everyday. It'll change how you look at your circumstances. It will change what looks like just a normal day on the surface. It will change how you approach that. 
Today is just a normal Sunday, just a regular Sunday. We're here together, we've gathered, uh, we've celebrated some things that the church is up to, but what you do with the rest of your day today and how you spend your normal Sunday might be affected if you were thinking about the fact that God was with you 100% of the time and it wasn't that God was here with us this morning and when you leave, now you're going back to the real world, but know that you understand that God is with you all the way. If you've thought through that, that God is with you absolutely every step of the way, it might change a few things. We are in the final week of this sermon series called True Colors. If you're joining us today, uh, you've missed a little bit of the journey through the end of the book of Genesis about the life of Joseph. And again and again and again, we've read through his words, we've read through his story, we see these words, and the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, Next week, we'll be starting a sermon series called Why We Do. Many of you were here last week. We had a great time celebrating the 100-year birthday of one of our forefathers here as a church in Pastor Jack Will. Why would we do that, though? Why would we really celebrate that heritage? Why would we take the time to invite instrumentalists from all over the place to be able to come in? And why would we do that? Why would we do many of the things that we do? Why do we do baptism? Why do we uh, serve in the way that we do? Why do we pray in the way that we do? Why do we go on mission trips in the way that we do? We begin that sermon series next week. It'll be a three-week sermon series, Why We Do. But today, we've got to finish out this sermon series. We've got to finish out the book of Genesis and, and look through this true colors and really today's message title being true forgiveness, what's being done here. This week, some of you are around throughout the week this week. It was kind of a unique week for us in the building because there was an Italian camp that rented the building for the week. They rented the dining hall downstairs and used some of the things where they, for the week, were teaching kids Italian. There was all kinds of things going on. There was kids throwing pizza dough up in the air and trying to figure out how to spin it. There was all kinds of really neat things that they were doing to try to help kids learn Italian for a week. One of the special things they did was have somebody come, it's not a person that I know personally, they brought their Ferrari here to the church and allowed all the kids to see this beautiful car out in front. I got a picture of all the kids in the car and myself in the picture because it was on our property, so I guess I'm allowed to take the picture, right? I learned something about a Ferrari that I never knew before this week. One the, the owner, he was telling the kids about the story behind Ferrari and Lamborghini. I didn't know this, but Ferrari was, was building all these really high-end cars, and Mr. Ferrari got a phone call from a man, Mr. Lamborghini. He was dissatisfied with the new Ferrari that he had just purchased. Mr. Lamborghini owned a tractor company and he had built tractors from a lot of the leftover parts and and pieces left over after uh, the war, after the World War. And he was frustrated with how the clutch of his new Ferrari was performing. And the response from Mr. Ferrari to Mr. Lamborghini was, you stick to making tractors and I'll take care of making cars. So Mr. Lamborghini responded, by making a few vehicles along the way. So Mr. Lamborghini and Mr. Ferrari were at odds with each other. They were upset with each other from that point on because of the insult of this man, Mr. Ferrari. I didn't know that. I don't know if you knew that, but now you do this morning. There was a story behind 
the story. Now we've gone through the life of Joseph in many ways and I want you to this morning kind of capture the story that's happening behind the story. So if you look in your outline there, the next thing I want to talk about is behind the scenes. Uh, The passages that we have gone through in this sermon series, the life of Joseph. I want you to see for a minute, take a step back and see what's going on behind the scenes. And to do so, we're going to turn a couple of pages over to Exodus chapter We're going to turn a couple of pages over to Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw this baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of those Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, the baby's sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. The woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and, she, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. If you're familiar with this passage, this is where we meet the person, the character, Moses. Moses is put in this uh, reed-built little boat that is floating down the river and Pharaoh's daughter saves his life and raises him as her own. Jump forward to verse 11, would you? Jump forward to verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor, his own people being the Hebrews. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and seeing no one, looking that way, he he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who are you? Are you a ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you have killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and he thought, what I have done must have become known. And word got back to Pharaoh. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Let's continue the story. If you turn over to chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. Now we've been introduced to this character, Moses. Moses has fled to Midian. And now uh, as Moses is there in Midian, there's this burning bush experience where the bush has started on fire in front of him out there while he's tending to the sheep. This bush is on fire and yet it is not being consumed. And when he goes and looks closely at the bush, it begins speaking to him. And it says, Moses, Moses. And we hear God speaking to him. And this is what he says in verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. This is God speaking. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I would go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is who I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go and the Israelites, the Hebrews, and I say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you. And they ask, well, what is his name? Well, then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
So the story behind the story is this. Behind the scenes of what we've been experiencing with the life of Joseph is this. Evangelicals agree that Moses is the one who penned down the book of Genesis and the first five books of the Bible or the the books of Moses or the Pentateuch. But where did Moses get this information to be able to write the words that we see as Genesis? He isn't present for any of it. He isn't present at all. There's some believe that at Mount Sinai later when he goes up and gets the tablets and the law from God, that God gave him all of the book of Genesis and he dictated it and writes it all down. There's other who believe that here in Midian, while 40 years in the desert, while God is preparing for him to be sent back to Egypt and rescue the people there, that he gives him and God has given him the story we know as Genesis over that 40-year time period. If we go from that perspective, let me uh, talk about a few things here that might be of interest to us today. So the story of Joseph is the longest in Genesis. It starts in chapter 30, just with him being born, and then jumps in 37 through 50. We have all this detail about this man, Joseph. It's longer than Adam. It's longer than our account of Noah. And then very specifically, it is longer than those names that we just heard God speak of, the names of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Why? Why would that be here? I believe that it's there because this is the story that Moses would need to sustain him for what he was going to be going through. That Moses writes down these words for us because God is giving him this revelation, he's giving him this story because this is what he was going to need. When Moses leaves and takes the people out into the wilderness, it is accounted there that that they had been in Egypt for about 430 years. So Moses is writing down stories that are old, 400 years old. He is writing down the story of Joseph and how it connects to him and how them leaving Egypt, how important that is. I believe that this story was a story that Moses needed to hear. I believe this is a story that the Israelites needed to hear. They needed to make the connections to God's bigger plan as they were fleeing Egypt. Why are these words repeated over and over and over in Joseph's life? And the Lord was with Joseph. Why would I share this story again today? Because I believe you need to hear these words again. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord is with you. So if you're filling in this morning, the first one is simple. It's the story title. So, so Moses starts in the beginning in Genesis and writes that, but he gets to this story of Joseph, and I believe that there are some sections that we can talk about, some chapters, titles, if you will, that we can talk about this morning. But here's the story that Moses is trying to tell. True colors, a story of true forgiveness. True colors, a story of true forgiveness. And so if I go back and I help us through and look back at where we've been through this sermon series, here are a few of the chapter titles. So first, we begin with this is the first chapter title, I don't deserve this. 
How many of you have been there before? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what I'm going through. I'm better than this, but here I am, and this is what I've been given. Here is, why am I dealing with this? In the I don't deserve this chapter, we, we meet Joseph. Joseph is given a coat of many colors. His father loves him and provides for him and it puts him in a very special and peculiar position of being one of the youngest of his brothers and yet being in charge of all of them. And we find that his brothers hate him and they, even though he is the loved one by his father, they, Judah specifically, sells him as a slave when he comes to visit them. In Genesis chapter uh, 37, we meet him, uh, the, the, the way that he is treated, he is thrown into a pit first and then he is taken away as a slave to where? He is taken to Egypt. I don't deserve this. It's part of this chapter as well. We, we meet Joseph and how he, he deals with the fact that he has been sold as a slave to Potiphar. We hear those words again. And the Lord was with Joseph. But as he has dealt with Potiphar, we meet Potiphar's wife. And in the middle of all of what's going on, of God giving him great success, of God allowing him to learn about a new culture and everything that goes into that, Potiphar's wife ruins everything. And as far as we can tell, Joseph has done nothing wrong. And he is slandered and he is mistreated by Potiphar's wife. I don't deserve this. And he, the one who has made great wealth for Potiphar, is now sitting in a prison. He is now thrown into prison for something he didn't do. I don't deserve this. While in prison, he rises to the top of the leadership there in the prison. As a prisoner, he is now taking care of the rest of the people. And we meet these other two characters that come into the story that are coming from Pharaoh. And he tells them the meaning of their dreams. One being that he would be executed in three days. And the other being that he would be put back into power as the cupbearer for Pharaoh. And remember me, he says, because I have been mistreated. As I tell you and share this dream with you, remember me when you get back to Pharaoh. In chapter 40, verse 23, he restored the the chief cupbearer to his position, and once again he held the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged, or some say he was put on his head on a stake. The chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation, the chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph. Chapter 1, I don't deserve this. Chapter 2 of Joseph's story, this is just how I dreamed it would be. This is just how I dreamed it would be. While in prison, Joseph is there. He is serving. He is doing his job. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph and calls him in because Pharaoh is having trouble with these really strange dreams. And he gives him the response to the dream. Chapter 41, verse 33. And now let Pharaoh, he says, after telling him the reason for the dream in 32, the reason for the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms as a matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. He's speaking 
before God. And he lets him know, the best thing that you could do, Pharaoh, is to take all that you have heard, listen to the dream. What it's telling you is you're going to have seven years of plenty and there will be seven years to follow in famine. And you need to get your storehouses together. You need to get your act together. You need to plow the fields, get some crops coming because you're going to need some support for seven years of famine. And what is Pharaoh's response? Pharaoh's response is, I think that's a pretty good idea. Who would be smart enough to put all of these things together? And all of Pharaoh's advisors said, there is no one in all the land except this man, Joseph, who could do the job. It suited Pharaoh well. Pharaoh said to Joseph in 39, since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one else so discerning and so wise as you. You shall be put in charge of my palace and all of my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Just how Joseph dreamed at the beginning of his life, just how he dreamed it would be. Then we find Joseph's brothers, we check in with his brothers and with what's happening back in Canaan with the family. Guess what? There is a famine, food is getting short, and there's only one place that they can go, Egypt. There's only one person that they can go and talk to about the food that they need, Joseph. And so what do they do? Joseph's 10 brothers make the journey to Egypt. And when they make the journey to Egypt, they meet Joseph. Joseph was the governor of all the land, it says in 42.6. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, what did they do? They bowed down to him with their faces on the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw them, he recognized him. He pretended that they were strangers and he, he spoke harshly to them because of the situation they were in. And so he asked them this question. He says, where do you come from? And their response is, we are here from Canaan. We've come to buy food. Just like he dreamed, his brothers were there bowing down before him. Chapter three, I got them right where I want them. Chapter three, I got him right where I want him. He talks to his brothers. He deals with his brothers. He finds out that they are in a very compromised state. And he, he asks them, where are you coming from? Why are you here? Are you, are you spies in our land? They said, no, your servants are of 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now this father. He said, I just told you, you are spies. And this is how you'll be tested as sir as Pharaoh lives. You will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get the brother and the rest of you be kept in prison so that your words may be tested, see if you're telling the truth. And he put them in custody for three days. He's got them right where he wants them. I was reading an illustration this week about a, a, a Midwestern town, if you will, and there's a man sitting in a diner, and, and for whatever reason, he's sitting there in the diner, and, and these, these motorcyclists come up, and they come in, and they mess with this very short man. They just keep poking him and prodding him, and they throw his food on the floor, and they, they just give him the worst time, but he doesn't do anything. He pays his bill and goes out the door. And one of the men complained to the other, said, why would this man, why doesn't he fight back? He's not much of a fighter, I guess. And the waitress there at the diner says, well, I guess he's not much of a driver either because he just drove his truck over your three motorcycles out in the parking lot. 
That's how you and I want to deal with what has happened here. He's got them right where he wants them. He's got them in a compromised state. He, now the authority, has them in prison. I got them right where I want them. And we learn this whole back and forth of the story of how he messes with them. And he takes this silver cup and puts it in their bags and, and sets them up for failure. Judah and his brothers come in. Uh, and this is on their second trip back to Egypt. And Joseph tells them after he sets them up, he says, what's this have you done? Don't you know that a man like me can find out anything? And he says, what can we say, my Lord? Judah replied, how can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's gift. We are now the, my Lord's slaves. So now not only has he imprisoned them, they have put themselves as slaves under Joseph's rule. And specifically, we get this very specific name and person and situation. Now Judah, this is Genesis chapter 44, verse 18. Judah went up to him and said, please, my Lord, let your servant speak this word. Don't be angry with your servant, although you are equal to Pharaoh. The Lord asked his servants, do you have a father and brother? And we answered, we have an aged father. Does this young son born to him in his old age? His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's son left, sons left, and his father loves him. Fast forward to the end of the chapter, he said, now please let your servant, Judah, remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And the boy be returned to his brother. How could I go back to my father and tell him the boy is not with me? No, let me see the misery that would become on me rather than see that misery on my father. Don't miss the point that it is Judah who is speaking here. In chapter 45, Joseph breaks down. Why is it important? Because it was Judah who had sold him into slavery. It was Judah who had decided, even better than killing him and throwing him in this pit, we can sell him as a slave and we will never see him again and we'll have money in our pockets. And it is Judah who stands there before Joseph, not knowing who he is, and says, it would be better for me to be a slave for you, Master Joseph. It would be better for me to be a slave than ever have to go back to my father again and tell him that the son that he has loved is gone. I've already done that once before. And as the story goes, it overwhelms Joseph, chapter 45. Joseph could no longer control himself. He sends all of his attendees out. He sends everyone out of the room and he weeps so loud that everyone in Egypt knows about it. And Pharaoh's household heard, but Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And they were terrified at his presence. You see, not only had he got them right where he wanted them, God himself had gotten Joseph right where he wanted Joseph. Because Joseph was going to have to deal with the fact that he had been sold as a slave. Joseph was going to have to deal with the fact that even though he was a person in power, there was someone more important than him in power. And God was continuing to work in and through his life. He says, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold as a slave into Egypt. And he weeps there before him. 
Then we get to chapter 50, chapter four of this storyline that we see Moses writing, and it is this, who am I? The passage that we read already this morning, now we find that Jacob has come, they've moved the whole family there to Egypt. But in chapter four, now all bets are off because there is no family ties keeping Joseph back from really coming after these brothers. This is what you are to say to Joseph is what their father advised them. Forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs you've committed. Now forgive the sins of the servants of God. And when the message came to Joseph, he weeps. His brothers came before him and threw themselves down in front of him again. They says, we are your slaves. But Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. He says, who am I in the place of God. Who am I? God has had this whole thing orchestrated and this this storyline that continues through all the chapters of this story is, and God was with him. And God was with Joseph. As we go through all of these chapters of, I don't deserve this, or this is just how I dreamed it would be, or I got them right where I want them. In all of that, we we come to the conclusion of this and when we see this, but who am I? The story behind the story is Moses sitting and penning down these words, writing down all that would come as part of this storyline. And what's the question that Moses asks of God at the burning bush? Who am I that I would go and lead the people out of Egypt? And the question for you and I this morning is, who am I to deserve anything? And the answer is nothing. Not one of us. Because as this storyline plays out, is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, and yet we have this whole story of Joseph, who at the end of the day, as history tells us, is, is nobody. Who is it that is the line to the throne, the Messiah, one day? It is out of the line of Judah, not Joseph. And Moses needed to write this down for himself and for his people and for you and I this morning. Who am I? We are part of God's bigger plan. God uses Joseph tremendously. God uses Moses tremendously in spite of who they are. And so through this process, it would be a huge mistake If we finish this sermon series and you walk out the doors this morning and you say, man, I wish I could be more like Joseph. Man, I wish I could be more like Moses. Who am I? Joseph says. Who am I? Moses says. You see, the rest of the story is this. Would you turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, verse 33. Luke chapter 22, verse 33 says this. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The storyline, the true colors, this true story of forgiveness is this. All mankind will bow before Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.10 says, at the the knee of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And yet in the midst of all of this, Jesus forgave them, Jesus forgave you and me, each and every one. The storyline, the chapters of the story, they, they look a lot like Jesus There should be a shadow there, a memory there. You go, I I feel like I've seen this before. You should see it pointing towards Jesus. What about you? Is there a family resemblance? Can people tell that you are a child of God? I've seen that before. I've seen those behaviors before. I've seen that storyline played out. It's a little bit different, but I've seen it before. Why? Because it looks a lot like Jesus. One of the things that Jesus said about himself is this, I am the light of the world. But don't forget what he told his disciples. He said something else, he said, you are the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, but you will be the light to the world. How much more could they reflect his light? How much more do you reflect his light? When you have a full moon, you get an idea of this. The full moon reflects and and lights up the whole earth, it would seem. When there's no cloud cover, there's just this bright, shining moon light everywhere you look. But the reality is, it's a quarter million miles away, 186,000 miles per second of seeing the glory of the sun reflected through the moon to us. Can people see the glory of God reflected off of our faces? One of the greatest examples to demonstrate this is the idea of forgiveness. You see, Joseph had to forgive his brothers. Moses had to forgive himself. He had committed murder. He would have to forgive that. He, would, he, he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he was wrong. He knew that he was incomplete. And yet, God still worked through him. God was with him. Why? Because God had forgiven him, as we read in Luke. And you and I have no standing before God on our own merits and on our own rights. We have nothing for which we can move forward with. And this story is incomplete and it stops and it leaves us hanging unless we understand. The people of Israel had to understand in order to leave Egypt, they had to understand why they were there and why they would leave was because they would be following a pillar, a cloud, which was God's leading and his prompting. And it was because of who God is and because of what God's direction was and through his leadership in Moses God was going to direct their paths and their responsibility and your responsibility this morning is to reflect the light of God who do you need to forgive this morning 
What situation do you need to leave behind? There's a situation I had to deal with over the last two weeks of understanding, no, God did not make a mistake. We went through this thing in our lives because God allowed it to happen and I need to move on and forgive and move forward. God has not made a mistake. And I don't know what you're going through this week. Certainly, Joseph at times had to be thinking, God, you, 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 you've drawn out this huge story, but there's a mistake in the middle of it. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And the beauty of having Moses come back and write the story out is he keeps things aligned. He keeps things, he keeps the main focus there. And God was with Joseph. So our response this morning needs to be the same. As the band comes, as the ushers come forward, we talked at the beginning of our gathering this morning that uh, our offering is a way for you to be able to respond, to write something on that connection card along with your tithes, your offerings, as you bring them before the Lord, to be able to say, God, are you speaking to me this morning? Leaving today different than you arrived, knowing that God is with you every step of the way changes how you take your steps out of here this morning and God was with Joseph and God was with Moses and God sustained Jesus on the cross and he will sustain you brother sister friend whatever you're going through this week God is not making a mistake God will be with you dear Lord we love you we thank you for your word we thank you for this narrative of the life of Joseph. Lord, there are many who are going through some very, very difficult things this week, this morning. We'll be going through a hard time this afternoon. But Lord, let them not say, let me be more like Joseph as I go through this thing. No, let them cling to those words and the Lord was with him. Lord, we trust that you are with us here in this place right now and we trust as we step through the doors today to face life, Lord, that you are with us in that as well. If there's any here this morning who have never met, you've never given themselves over to, Lord, I pray that that relationship would start today. That they admit that it's not working out real well on their own. Lord, believe that you, Jesus, you died on the cross for their sins and all we have to do is accept that gift so that we can step out of this place today knowing that the Lord is with us. Lord, we thank you for your true forgiveness. We pray, Lord, that we would live in that today, that we would demonstrate that in others as a reflection of your light and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.